Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 31.32-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks that we screen for each week here in the shop. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week is the June 12, 2012 edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show, and we've done a screen, uh, an equity screen this week to provide three terrific value ideas based on return on assets, return on equity, and asset turnover, a little bit of an obscure screen that we'll talk about. We'll get to that in a minute, but first a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, this is a hobby for Mo and I after hours. We're professional analysts during the week doing a lot of careful fundamental analysis, including uh, financial projections, conference calls with management, examination of competitors. We're doing absolutely none of that here. Third, our lawyers remind us to tell you that we may not have your best interests in mind and may recommend the opposite of what actually is in your own best interests, so do your own work. And fourth, and this may become increasingly evident during the course of the show, but uh, I've been heavily drinking, and uh, Mo this week's been joining in, so uh, who knows what might happen this week on the show. Uh, see all our caveats. Pictures our moms took, lists of best ideas, uh, and other stuff I can't really remember at the moment that's out there, www.thevalueguys.com. Okay, so for new listeners, here's what we do on the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. We provide three or four really terrific value ideas that we usually use here in the shop, or at least they're on our to-do list here in the shop. Um, and we're running different screens that we use in the shop. This week, and I was really tight for time, Mo. I don't know about you. You had a busy uh, we a did, w- we did, busy we did. week. But I just, you know, uh, we have buttons right on FactSet that make screens, so I don't really have to do much. This, The one this week was um, to look for those stocks that met the following screen. Below $3 billion in market cap, so small cap land. Um, above average, I believe it's sales to assets, so above average asset turnover relative to their industry, above average return on assets relative to their industry, both good grandmother, you know, metrics. And then finally, in the, in the top 20% of your industry in return on equity. So those were the three metrics. We got about 40 names that came out of that, and we just picked three. You know, I don't want to say randomly because we did look through them, but we were a little tight for time. But I think I do think we have at least one really terrific idea and two kind of semi-interesting ones. I don't know. What well, you know that since we, we've given each one of these n- names about, oh, three minutes yeah, of three analysis. Yeah, four minutes. But when you measure analyst years, which is like dog years times, they've said t- dog years times 72, those, right. those three minutes of an- analysis? It's like an hour or something. Oh, no. Two hours, no. For an ordinary person? Yeah. 
They, they, the professionals say a year and a half. A year and a half. Yeah, a year, a year, an ordinary person would do a year and a half It'd to take figure them out a year what and a half. Yeah, yeah. So well, just uh, transcribing from I'm, the Chinese I'm, would take some. I'm not. I'm just saying that's what the science is. No, I mean we're not advocating that. It's right, just, I'm just one saying thing. that's what you. Can't okay. Do. Well, we're going to get to all that in a minute. We got. Let me give you the names. We're going to do uh, something called Kingle Jewelry. Ticker KGJI, and I've never heard of this in my life. The market cap is 135 million, so that's pretty small. Owens and Minor, OMI, which is a real company, and it's a it's a medical products distributor. And then uh, finally, U.S. Home Systems, USHS. But before we get to that, an important segment here on the show: Value Guys, Wall Street. News, right? Well, so, yeah, but that's your area. So, I are you? I don't know if you even did anything. Well, we have a couple of things. We just want to let you know that if you go onto the website, you know, um, Warren Buffett's lunch just sold for uh, three million four hundred and fifty six seven hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars. Did you bid on that Mo? for lunch? Yeah, I was in the very early bidders. <laughs> When, bid, it, when it first went on, just so I could say I was in the front. Yeah, end. I was in. I was a bidder. I as was well. up at eight bucks. <laughs> I bid thirty-five dollars. Did you? You went. Well, uh, you know, I mean, you can always just watch them on YouTube. But you know what? You if you, you're either a player or you're not. Doesn't matter whether you're winning. And so we were only winning. one guy so, wins. So here's you go on the website. Bid on lunch with Mo and myself. Starting you bids. Are Mo, though. Starting bids are. <laughs> oh yeah. Val and Val. Yourself. Right. Val. And uh, starting bids are at uh, 87 cents. 87 cents because of the crash? Well, Yeah, you got to uh, start it from somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Okay, yeah. No, we're t t definitely up for that. So, and uh, winner picks the place, right? Winner picks the place. So just go on our website and look for that. And, uh, yeah, you can. And you know what? We're a bargain compared to Warren Buffett because we have funds that can totally mirror his. We know exactly what his investment yeah. strategy is. What's public documents? We've even we've even copied his asset allocation model. So think about it. Us for eighty seven cents, Warren Buffett, three point five million. Right. Exactly. Listeners, you choose. Yeah. It's up to you, listeners. There you go. Other news. Yeah. I have no news this week, Mo. I did I didn't do anything you know what? Uh, in that department. Listen to this. You have some what do you got? Congressional Budget Office just yeah. releases the Financial status on our congressman. Uh-oh. Who's worth what? Who's worth what? I didn't so, see that. You know, these are guys that have been able to trade on insider information for the last 20 years, and only half of them are millionaires. Losers. Wow. Losers. Well, that tells you something about the uh, intellect over there. <sighs> They've got inside information, and they can't beat the market. Unbelievable. Not a good thing. Okay. You know, I had a little news today. I don't know why I picked this out. I was just like, hey, we, you know, we like to give people the news. There's a site called uh, Real Time Economics. And I don't know if it's real time or not. But that's it's dated a, yesterday. Yeah, it's dated, uh, or actually stated a few days ago. Here's the thing we've been talking here on the value guys and, and other venues, uh, much less prestigious than us, have been talking about this. There's a ton of cash on corporate balance sheets, a ton. And the reason I know that is because I look at corporate balance sheets and they have a ton of cash. So I'm kind of bottom up in that regard. But at the same time, the government's out saying 
there's more cash than ever before. I mean, it makes some sense. You know, a few years ago, the banks completely froze up and said, we're not loaning you any money. I hope you can afford for your payroll and inventory. So since that time, just for preservation purposes, companies have been keeping a little higher cash balance just so they don't go broke. And you might say, why don't they want to go broke? Well, if you really have to ask that question, you're not a capitalist. So I just say, they don't go broke because that's death to a company. So they got to keep a little more cash, and everybody's been reporting it. It's been, uh, you know, gee, those bad corporations are hoarding cash and not just paying people to sit in chairs and do nothing. But um, the, uh, the Federal Reserve, I mean, think of all the data that we look to the Federal Reserve to provide. In fact, even here on the show, we're constantly saying, I'm constantly saying, go to the Federal you know, Bank of St. Louis, get all your data there, et cetera. It's great data. Well, on Thursday, last Thursday, the Federal Reserve sharply reduced their estimate of total corporate cash. So maybe these corporations aren't as evil and bad as everybody says. Maybe and they're not <laughs> as maybe they're not as safe as people thought. No, well, they also may not be as safe. But evidently, um, instead of uh Let's see here. Instead of $1.74 trillion in liquid assets, the Federal Reserve now says, you know what? We uh, overestimated that by $500 billion. That's 30-something, 5% more than the actual number. But, hey, the good news is we still have a trillion on hand. So that's still good. But the article points out that's the same relative amount that they had 20 years ago. And suddenly... It doesn't seem like there's so much corporate cash hoarding going on. But I thought that was unbelievable. It's, uh, oh, we miscounted a third well, let me, of the let cash? Let me ask you a question. We, we were talking about this earlier tonight. We both started off the same job, same firm. Yeah. You interviewed me. So um, what do you think would happen to you anywhere along the trajectory of your career if you were off 30%? On my... Uh... Anything. Estimates? Well, you're your fired. Estimate? I mean, you're after yeah. fired. Right. So, do those guys get fired? Um, you know, I don't know. I think uh, Bernanke is appointed for uh, what? Two-year period? I, I'm not sure. How do we get those jobs? That would be a great job. Well, you got to be a professor. Or a weatherman. Yeah. Well, that's how Letterman made it into the pundit yeah, how, how else can you be off that much? I don't know. So often it's unbelievable. And keep though. your job, but I think thirty percent off. Yeah, oh, well, that's what I'm mentioning. It. I mean, it's unbelievable. Boom. The, the Federal Reserve. Yeah. Wow. Great job if you can get it. Okay, let's get into the stocks. We're uh, eleven minutes into the show. Uh oh. And I'm starting to get a little sleepy, so I just want to get into it here. Okay. Yeah. First up, we're going to go alphabetical. Uh, H-I-J-K. Okay, K. I got it. Here we go. Uh, well, this one's yours. Mo, you found this one. Well, I, get just, into well, it I, I liked it because it's uh, King Gold Jewelry. The ticker symbol is K-G-J-I. It's a, it's a $2.50 stock. But it's a, it's, a, it's a jewelry designer that manufactures and markets gold in the People's Republic of China. So if you believe the whole big macro trend, China becoming the you know the new U.S. globally, a huge rising middle class, anxious for all of the uh, signifiers of wealth. Yeah. 
They want a Western lifestyle. They want they they want gold. They want they want some Louis Vuitton. You know the luxury brands are gonna that's gonna be a big long term trend out there. And so I'm thinking it's gold. So you got an option to the extent that the euro breaks. You have pandemonium. People continue to flood to safe stocks. Nothing would be better. The gold the gold <laughs> the gold stocks go up, and the gold jewelers that are trafficking that go. You up. gotta love a little pandemonium now and and then uh, for the yeah. gold guys, right? Yeah. It's a you know pandemonium's an important part of the equity <laughs> risk decision. Part of the strategy, right. absolutely. So it's a play on pandemonium. <laughs> Which is in uh, not in short supply these days. Not right? in short supply. Um, well, it's also the year of the dragon. You know, yeah. I'm not a big gold guy, but I think the year of the dragon. People love gold in the year of the dragon, right? Yep. So it's a play on. It's a euro play. Yeah. It's a play on uh, macro trends of developing of a middle class in uh, in China, and uh, it's a go it's, for it, it Chinese. It, yep. It's a so. Purely from a conceptual standpoint, and how can you not love a two dollar and fifty cent stock? Well, I mean, you could buy it so little to lose. What, so little. It's not to like lose. buying a hundred dollars. Could stock. be so little to gain too. Well, I mean, so true. what? What about the valuation, Mo? We ha- aren't hearing a lot about that. That's what you're here for. Oh, that's what I'm here. Your Val, remember? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I will say the enterprise value to EBITDA, which I like to think about as a cash yield of, in this case, it would be around thirty percent. I don't want to do all the math. It's been as high as thirty-one, so it's one-tenth of that now, and as low as 1.2. So it's kind of in the middle of its range on enterprise value to EBITDA. I can't help but notice, at least in the recent weeks, uh, commodity prices are heading down, but that's just in dollars. And uh, But because the euro is weakening, I mean, it's going down even more in euros. I don't know what it's doing in China, except that I think the Chinese, what, what do they have over there? The yuan or something. I don't yes. know. They are uh, kind of tied to the dollar. You know, they give up a few percent every year to the people screaming for letting your currency float, but they're not actually letting it float. They're letting it rise by a few percent per year. So they're basically tied to the dollar, and uh, commodity prices in dollars have been going down. But on the other hand, this thing's gone from 10 to 3 in the last uh, year, so some of that's clearly in the stock. The sales have been going up while the price has been going down, so undoubtedly the value of gold is being uh, included into the market's perception of the value here. EBITDA margins, remarkably stable for such a volatile uh, commodity. They must just be, you know, I don't, who knows? I mean, sales are just going up. The commodity is volatile, so you'd have to work that out. Maybe that's just some sort of fee. Return on assets, we've only got a few years here. Data seems kind of incomplete in the years when, you know, the value was low. But they're putting up mid-teens on assets right now, uh, close to 20% on equity. So in terms of those kind of metrics, it actually does look like a good deal. But as a value guy, I'd say, what's the underlying commodity doing? Because it is a commodity. It's not like they have any edge. They do gold, which other gold makers do. So it's a matter of are their costs lower than other people to produce? Are their costs lower to distribute? And I'd want to get a little bit more into that. Um, But if you look at their historical valuation ranges, it does look on the low end. But I have no idea what commodity prices are going to do, Mo. That's my problem with these kinds of things. Well, you know, you said um, said that, uh, yeah, sales are growing, and I agree. But let's quantify that. 
You know, this company didn't produce any sales until 2009. And they've gone from 250,000. Is that thousand? Or mil not million. Is it a million? They don't tell me here. It's 250. 250. To 500. To almost 800. It's got to be a million. Yeah. So 250, 500, 800, 800 million. That's, that's quite a jump. So I think that some of the fundamentals are, are you know, um, looking pretty, pretty interesting. There's a zero debt. But let me ask you a question. I do like that. Yeah. So here's what we we did this last week, and it's a little bit of a, a little bit of an inside thing. You get to see how we work. I'm gonna how, give away some secret, secret methodology here, Mo. It's guess the dividend. Didn't you time. sign an NDA on the way it in is, here? What? <laughs> it's guess the dividend time. Oh, yeah, guess the dividend. I'm gonna read you a series of annual dividends, and you're gonna tell me based on years of experience. Remember one. <laughs> One minute of analyst time is worth uh, you know, 17 uh, years, years of an ordinary right. mode. Of course. So. Gotcha. All 2008. Right. Okay. Dividend. Yeah. Zero. Right. 2009. Yeah. Zero. Yep. 2010. Yes. Zero. Okay. 2011. Yeah. Zero. <laughs> yes. Okay. Give me your forecast for 2012. Uh, can I get a lifeline? I think you want to just uh, do this based on experience. Zero, zero. There you go. Is that it? Amazing. Do I win an iPad? Well, think about it. Between the two of That's us, we have. Stern had on today. He was giving was it? away iPads. Yeah. 30, 32 and three quarters years of experience between right. the two of us. That's 60. Is the point they don't have a dividend yield, Mo? Well, I'm or do I, you think they're about to introduce a dividend yield? No, I'm, I'm just, not sure exactly where you're going the, on. The that. forecasting, I just think... Yeah. Uh, I think people like an insight. To, now, here's another thing. Yeah. Here's what I like about this stock. Yeah. As a martini drinker. Which I know you are. Which I, yeah. Yeah. Which we, are, which we were tonight. Look at this. 2009, this stock was up 1,257%. It seems at like an adequate return. In 2000, it was up 256%. Uh, a little disappointing, but I'll take it. In 2011, down 72. Woo, woo. Ouch. Yeah. And then in 2012, up 117. Now. That's just a commodity rattling around, isn't it? Sometimes you just buy a stock like this for the sheer thrill of it. To tell people about it. When you go I'm to. I'm up, I'm down. When you go to Disney, what do you do? You don't eat in the food court. You go on the roller coaster. Rock and roller coaster. That's my favorite. There you go. Yeah. So. I think some of the excitement of owning equities is lost on people. It's a sport, among it's other things. It's a sport. Things. Well, this could be one for that. You I'll own what, that. Why do you go fishing? The thrill of it. Why do you own a stock like this? It's cheaper than a fish. You own a gold stock that moves all over the it's fucking world. Oh. It's $2.54, and it's a thrill. And it doesn't pay a dividend. Yeah. So you're in it for the thrill. So, okay. Next. Okay. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Owens and Minor, OMI. Now, the reason we want to do this is because, ladies and gentlemen, this is a real company. They do real stuff. You could actually own this, and I own it, uh, notwithstanding all our uh, caveats. I really do. These guys provide distribution, third-party logistics, just reading the 10K, other supply chain management services to healthcare providers. So they basically provide the products that you might need in a doctor's office to those doctor's offices and 
when you think about the percentage of GDP that goes to healthcare, it's ticking up a little bit each year because prices in healthcare go up more than GDP. You know, that is a problem over time. We're going to have to solve it. But, you know, it's not going to be solved by Owens and Minor. They're going to just distribute products to doctors' offices. That's what they do. Um, and so it's tremendously stable. In fact, when I look at their sales, they, you know, they don't have ever a down year. It's always up a little bit. Uh, their EBIT, even their EBITDA, uh, looks like during this whole period, including the downturn, EBITDA did not go down. Um, now, granted, it was up only one, uh, well, half of one percent in 19, I'm sorry, 2010, but, you know, that's still up. Their EBITDA margins, this is a distributor, so they're very small. Think of their margins in terms of what a markup would look like to the, uh, you know, to the to the supplier of product, 2.9% EBITDA margins last year, but that's consistently up from 2.3 six years ago. So it goes up a little bit each year, and uh, and then their their asset turns four times. So again, these logistics companies they keep margins very low. That means low markups. So the guy giving you the product to distribute is not upset about you overcharging to their end clients. But you bring these uh, economies to scale in terms of uh, your ability to get very large, your, your size. So they're doing uh, low margins but high turnover. That gives you a 6% return on assets. Again, very hard to compete with that because it's low. That keeps competitors out. And then because of the stability, they're able to leverage that a little bit into a return on equity that's consistently in the low teens. And that's perfect because it's really too low to attract, uh, you know, excessive competition. And so they, they keep their business. And it turns into an annuity in that regard. <laughs> this thing is seven and a half times EBITDA. That's what I love. I take the inverse of that. It's about 14 times, or rather 14% cash on cash return in a market where the long-term treasury is at one and a half. So, again, I love that. Enterprise value to sales. 20 basis points or 0.2. This one gives you a little bit of a dividend yield, 3%, and their payout, so they're paying only about, uh, well, it looks like about 35% uh, of their earnings out in a dividend. So if they wanted to, they could raise that payout, make the yield a little higher. Um, but uh, I, I don't think they're going to do that. It's been a pretty consistent dividend payout ratio. So very stable revenue, stable earnings, a little bit of a yield, 14% cash on cash return to uh, an outside buyer, and uh, and you get a little growth on that, which would be kind of, I'd say, 5%-ish range. So really something you could put away for a long time. Yeah, and I think the story here is the, the yield. You know, when I, when I first looked at the stock, I was thinking, you know, down 11% in 2008, up 14 you know, up two, down five, up four. If you look at the chart, it's a it's a pretty flattish stock, and I was yeah, no, what, it is. I was wondering what there is to get excited about it until I realized, yeah, it's a cash cow. These guys have had you know a three percent yield is nothing to sneeze at, especially in this market, and you might have some dividend increases, which leads us to the next question of the show. Ready for a. What do you got going? Dividend forecast? You ready? Absolutely. We're starting. I in, couldn't be more for, more ready. We're starting in 2007. Okay. 
40. Yeah. 2008, 50. Okay. Can I take some notes here? 40, oh. 50, yeah. 2009, 60. Yeah, 60. 2010, yeah. 71. Oh, yeah. That would throw you a little bit. Yeah. 2002, 80. Oh, sorry, sorry. 2011, yeah. 80. 80, okay. 2012. Yeah. 90. Okay. I'm going to go in a range. You wanna, do you want to do a range? Do you want to you you stop for a minute and think? No, no. Right. I'm going to just think on the fly, let people no watch ranges. the process. No ranges. I want to go in a range. No ranges. You know what Woodrow right. Wilson said? He said, I wish I had a one-handed economist. Really? <laughs> well, on the other hand, I'd like to uh, <laughs> just give you a single. I'm going to go with a one dollar. Number. A dollar. One dollar. Yeah. Is that right? It looks right to me. My parents would be so happy because so they spent so much on my education. So it's great. So now you got a dollar on a $28 okay. stock. you got a pretty nice yield. It's a yeah. cash cow. It seems stable, and I agree with you. It's, a, it's an interesting one to look at. Well, I can also, you know, one problem with the valuation, so you're right to say the stock's been flat. But here's what I want to say about that. Healthcare stocks... And I think it's largely driven by pharma companies that have a lot of drugs coming off patent. But, the, and, you know, who, who can say? But the whole healthcare industry, including great companies that I'll just say like Medtronic, that has a whole host of fabulous equipment that saves lives across a whole bunch of categories, they're, they're multiples, they're PE multiples. Ten years ago, we're at 40% types of premiums to the average because I think people really felt confident in the growth rates because of the demographics of an aging population and the fact that people, you know, were certainly willing to pay a premium margin for products that could save their lives or improve their quality of life. Well, now, 10 years later, 15, I lose track, but all these healthcare stocks are now at discounts to the market. Why? Well, the pharma companies haven't been inventing new drugs. Um, the price increases that were traditionally coming to the equipment guys have been come under scrutiny, so it's harder to predict you know, them going into the future, blah, blah, blah. But here's what I'd say about all that. Right now, from this level, one of the things you have in these stocks that you did not have 10 years ago is the potential for multiple expansion. So 10 years ago, when you buy a stock at a 50% premium to the market multiple, you know, guess what? It's at a premium to the market multiple. So for the last 10 years, expectations have been just kind of puffing out of this whole sector. You've got the risks of socialism. You've got price controls from Medicare, blah, blah, blah. All the premium is out. All the expectations are out. So one of the things you have when you own these things, is the likely outcome for the stuff that's unexpected from here is good. I mean, this is one of the secrets of the value investing concept, is that if you buy something when everything's washed out of the expectations, the chances start to be that some random stuff that happens is good versus bad, and the multiple only has one way to go which is up. So for a company to be so stable as this, now remember the long bond is at 1.5%, and so that's 70 times earnings. I'm just calling it like it is, that don't grow. These guys are at uh, some lower multiple, 
15 times earnings that do grow, and they pay you twice the yield that the long bond will pay you. So, and, that, and that yield's going to go up again yeah, next right. year to a buck. So that's kind of my thing on that. Yep. Okay, last stock of the week. A little stock we like to call U.S. Home Systems, ticker USHS. And uh, let's see. Why? Let's see. Is this your? Let's, these guys are uh, they're six times EBITDA. That's a 16% cash on cash return. They're putting up a 13% return on assets, 17% return on equity. That's all very interesting. They're trading... Uh, you know, and I just mentioned a pretty good multiple. And uh, what, no analysts are, there's three analysts, so it's likely there could be some information here people don't know about. Uh, and they're in the home improvement business, which I think in a period where there's not a lot of home transactions going on, people, you know, maybe take an extra little bit to enhance their own home. I don't know. Well, you know, I, I, th there were a couple things that struck me when we were, when we were going through these. And one was, look at this chart. This thing has been a huge performer. It was up, you know, eight, it was up 86% in 2010, 36% in 2011, 31% in 2012, year to date. And so you, you look at this thing and, all right, there's clearly a story there because the graph looks great. And then I started thinking, all right, so they do resurfacing of kitchen cabinets. They do you know, re well, you know, there's a huge overhang of foreclosed homes, and a lot of these homes are pretty damaged when people leave them. And so I think when you think about a big macro trend, is it likely that as all these foreclosed homes finally get absorbed in the next five to seven years in the marketplace, people who are buying them are buying them on the cheap. They're getting a great price, but they're buying them on the cheap. And they're not necessarily going to come in and put in a $100,000 granite kitchen with all of the stuff like you've got in your house. They're going to come in. They're going to want a resurfacer. They're going to want somebody that does these rehab stuff. I'm a renter. I'm a renter. I was a pretty fancy uh, barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, so, you know, there may be a play there. They may be, uh, these, are the guy, these are the guys that are going to be the big beneficiaries as people buy these foreclosed homes and start fixing them up in a very cost-effective way. So I thought, oh, that's sort of interesting. There's a, the margins are only, the EBITDA margin is only 5%, so there's not a lot of give. But they have no long-term debt, and the sales have been going up, you know, 110, 150, 170, 180. Sales have been cranking along. It's amazing how consistently good this is. And look, 90% of their business is kitchen refacing, yeah. which is cabinets, isn't right. it? And that's what, that's what people do. You know, you know, if we're really in for a period of <clears throat> four or five years of 2% economic growth, you're not going to have a lot of, you're going to have, people are still going to want to update dated kitchens. Trust me. Uh, talk Spend to my, a few bucks in my wife area. is an expert in that. And um, so, you know, it's a, it's, I think it's a good long-term conceptual play. Well, there's three analysts. So again, information now is Now there's four. Not, yeah. <laughs> three and a half if you count us, right? And uh, I think that, you know, the kitchen is a place where your return on investment as a seller is very good. And so that makes sense. Their gross margins here are remarkably consistent in the 50s. And uh, when you take their costs into account, they're putting up an EBIT margin of 5%, which is, again, something that's hard to compete with. So uh, it looks like as long as you can, um, you know, 
have this uh, overhang or this excess inventory, which at least in our calculations could be quite a few years ahead, you're going to have this outsized business opportunity. And then some point, two or three years from now, you know, you're going to drip back down. But I would say that even at those lower levels, you've got an annuity of, you know, they did 11 EBITDA last year. Maybe you could count on, you know, six to eight as an ongoing thing. And with them trading at six times EBITDA, that lower number would still be eight times EBITDA, which is 12% cash on cash return in a more mature market. So still attractive relative to bonds. So I think it's an interesting uh, name. Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. that's so that's it for stocks this week. Um, I guess uh, we have some options. You know, I wanted to make an announcement, Mo. Yes. Yeah. A couple things. First, the, uh, the value guys stock talk show had its highest rating ever in six years of the show last week at number 23. 11 listeners. Yeah. A new record. Well, listen, you get over that 10 number, a lot of people. And so, you know, that was kind of cool. But then a sad thing. What? A sad thing. Uh, well, the muse, really, for the show, Car Talk, those yeah. guys are retiring and uh, and we are going to be replacing them, well, but we're letting you know that before the media knows. Yeah, no one but knows. The, they'll no know that knows. tomorrow. We're just we're negotiating for it. Yeah. But I think, you know, those guys, they had such a great show, and I was listening to it again last week, as I have done for 20, 30 years. Um, you know what they do on their show that we could really do? What? Call-ins. People call in. Yes. But so I wanna, here's what I want to do. I want to make an announcement. I tried this a while ago, but tonight... We're bringing call-ins. I want to. I want to really, you know, kind of. There's a lot of demand for call-ins. We got a lot of listeners with call-in. So I want to. Uh, I got a couple listeners. Uh, we're going to have some call-ins. So uh, here we what's, go. What's so, the number? Um, well, no, we got some people on the air. So, um, hello, uh, Mr. Smith, you're on the air. All right. Well, clearly there's something. Something didn't go right. All right, hold on. Did Let's we give it. them the... Huh? You've got... That's the bat phone no. on your desk. Don't so, you need a regular phone? That's no, weird. we have a couple listeners. So uh, let me get to another one here. We'll try... Uh, we have, have a listener here. Nope. Okay, clearly that's... Uh, anyway, okay, we're going to have to work, work on it. Um, that didn't go as well as I'd hoped. I was. I had a Mister. Uh, I had a caller there, but uh, I did. <laughs> that happens. We need so, more tech support, right. but after the show starts generating right. revenue, I will we say if that. if anybody wants to call in and leave a question, uh, you can just dial me up and leave a message. Uh, you could call. Uh, what is my number? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna think about which number I want to give. Let people know. know. Yeah, and uh, don't forget to check the website, thevalueguys.com, for the uh, auction on our lunch. Bids have gone from eighty-seven cents. What are we up to now? Dollar eleven. Okay. What are we going to do? This walking through economic oh. trends. Well, yeah, we have a chance. So I think we just have to pause the show because we haven't done any work on this whatsoever, and we'll just be right back.
Okay, we're back, ladies and gentlemen, with walking through national economic trends, or paging through. I guess and that. while you were tuned out, we actually were playing some great music. Yeah, we did. I was trying to pick an outgo, outro. So. Music to think by. That okay, so a couple of uh, important announcements here. One, this is uh, all data coming from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, and I'd like everyone to completely ignore the fact that the Federal Reserve of Washington made a $500 billion error earlier in the show with regard to cash balances. These guys in St. Louis rock solid. Get it right. They don't make these kinds of mistakes. So we're just paging through. If you go to their site, you'll get all the economic data you need to know. Just paging through, looking for something kind of, you know, to tell the tell the folks. Here. Well, keep going. When you get to page 7, i got a question I got for something you. on page, uh, page, I'm on page 7. Great. I'm on page seven. Two questions. Yes, sir. First page, yeah. <clears throat> first chart on page seven is, yeah. is is interest rates since 1987. Yeah. Now, I mean, you look at this graph and you realize that since 1987, you know, treasuries have never been at zero. Well, until. Yeah, until. 2000, beginning of 2009. Yeah. So all the way back to 1987, interest rates are basically zero. When That's it comes the three to the month. three months, I know, month, yeah. close to zero. Historically, the lowest rates since at least '87. Yeah. Do you look at a? Do you ever look at a 50-year chart and say these are the lowest they've ever been in 50 years? There really isn't a game changer. These are going back up. In the next five years, they're going to go right back up to, you know, look at what these rates have been. They've been uh, between six and nine percent. They got to go back up. So eventually, yeah. What do you? What do you just generally play if you think we haven't seen anything like this maybe in 50 years? It's going to go back up. What do you play? Well, first thing you do is you don't buy long-term bonds. There's a concept called duration. Right. Not and that's a weighted average of the cash flows, et cetera. I don't want to bore you with that. But basically what it says is when interest rates go up, the principal value of your bond goes down, and it goes down in relationship to the maturity on the bond. So if you have a 30-year bond, the average of that maturity, given that the principal is a big weight at the end, it might be at these interest rates, you know, 15 years or 20 years. That means for every 1% change in interest rates, like from 8 to, or from 1.5 uh, to 2.5, your bond goes down uh, 20%. Right. So there's a huge risk. And I, frankly, I was talking about this with a colleague the other day. I don't know how anyone buys a bond, let alone a treasury. I mean, they buy these for safety, you know. But you're not getting much more than you'd get if you just bought a safe and buried it in your yard. But uh, you get a little bit, I guess. Um, but how about Greek bonds? Paying sick, we, we had a thing, you know, we're going to privatize Greece. Well, frankly, they're not going for it. So they're selling bonds, to try to avoid our plan. Uh, I think I'd rather buy yeah. Greek salad. Well, six and a half percent. I mean, who who reaches for that when the place could go tapioca? So, I uh, I think the whole the whole curve, the whole yield curve internationally is messed up, and that's why equities are so attractive. We talked I mean, about a couple of stocks today with a three percent yield, and it grows right. as they grow earnings. As grow. we did on our dividend guessing I can't explain. Well, this. one more question. I said two questions on this page. I'm looking at the bottom page. And, you know, I just did this. Tell me if you think I'm crazy. There's a uh, graph down here of the Standard Poor's 500 index. 
what its percent change year over year was. And I'm counting four periods since 1987 where the return on the, the market was negative. Uh, period around 87, 88, period around 90, 01 to 03 was kind of bad, and we've had 08 to 09. Where there was an extended period of negative returns versus last year. Right. Yeah. But that's eight years out of 87. Yeah. We've, we've just had two bad periods sort of back to back. But eight years out of 87, that means that if you invested in the stock market only 7% of the time, You'd be slogging through a bad market. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. So, but the perceptions it? of these numbers aren't as bad as the actual numbers, or are, are worse than the actual numbers. Absolutely. You know, they just did a survey where they said that uh, 60% of people under 30 years old said they wouldn't trust their money in the stock market. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you look at this with a little bit of a historical perspective, the, the fact of the matter is, longer term, it's always it has always been good to be in the stock yeah. market. Yeah, it has. I mean, there's a few periods where if you bought at the peak, yeah, you're unhappy, and all your friends know it. And For all a that. while. Yeah. But the fact, most people, most of the time, this gets back to a very simple strategy of investment that a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of bank trust departments recommend because it's just put $100 a month in the stock market. That way... When stocks are down a lot, you're buying more shares. When they're up a lot, you're buying fewer shares. And I think it's called a dollar averaging averaging over time. <coughs> and over the entire history of the world, it's worked. But you've had to sometimes wait as long as, you know, 8 to 10 years during, like, the Depression, the 30s was bad. And this is proving to be a or, or, or in some cases... Um, one or two hundred years, as was the case in the Iron Age. Well, in the Hundred Year War, that was a problem. And uh, Paleolithic. Yeah. You know, there are some some periods in the Paleolithic. But if you time. bury your assets, you're fine, and your you know your right, grandchildren need... dig it up, and they're fine. But it's usually more like eight years. Yeah, it's more eight. Yeah, not a hundred. Yeah. Yep. It could be a hundred though, and no one's predicting That's that right. this time, I'm unless gonna... you are, Mo. No, I'm not. Okay. But I have another one more quiz yeah. for you. Yes. What page, page are you on? I'm on page You're nine. paging rather rapidly. Right, I have a question All for right. you. Do the math for me. Okay. Where's my HP 12C? Wait a minute. You have it? You can yeah, use my I got it right here. I right, ready? retrieved it from the Smithsonian. Yeah. Some, something starts at 65. Okay, 65. And it punching goes, that in. And it goes to 4. You know, this has reverse Polish notation. I know. Which that. a lot of people don't know it about. That's true. Yeah. What, what was but it? even the iPhone has the same <laughs> it reverse has it now. Yeah. So something goes okay. from 65, 65 to 4. Okay, that's a decline. Oh. Yep. Uh, 65 to 4. Let's do the math. That is a 93.9% decline, Mo. Well, that's what what's did happened. that? Natural gas prices. Oh. Yeah. That explains my coal... Uh, Portfolio. From 2008 to two to the to 2012, yeah, natural gas price spot and futures have gone down 94 percent. Yeah, well, that's the, I knew uh, I knew I knew energy was I knew especially because of the flood of natural gas fracking. I yeah, know right. the big story. Yeah, 94 percent. Yeah, that's big. That is off a peak, a little peaky. Fair period, enough, but yeah. 
No, it's it's big time. I mean, chemical companies are now building. Dow is building a factory on the Gulf Coast to take advantage of low gas. It's a huge game changer for America. Absolutely. Well, well, well. Uh, I had that circled as well because what this does is <coughs> America has now the lowest cost energy of any nation, and uh, and so that should help us in terms of you know longer term thoughts about growth. Cheaper energy means more manufacturing is coming here, and uh, that helps our national wealth. So that's great news. Uh, well, let's see. I had one here, Mo. I had one kicking in on page 11, because I'm just paging through here. And that is, unemployment has been going straight down since uh, the second quarter of 2009. Job openings, which is perhaps even more important, because frankly, if my neighbor is unemployed and then he gets a job, that doesn't affect me. What does affect me is job openings. So that line has been going straight up. And I know it's an election year. There's a lot of debate back and forth about what's going on. But uh, I think this trend is very good. The economy is slowly repairing, and job openings are improving very consistently now for uh, almost three years and uh, and going up you know, each period. So I think that's a very positive uh, result. We're now uh, almost 3% growth in the number of job postings, and my guess is this little chart is looking at uh, newspapers and monster.com and things like that. So I thought that was noteworthy. And then I had... Uh, I had one question for you on that. Yeah, okay. <clears throat> job openings. Yeah. You know, one of the things I love about longer-term pictures is that job openings, if you look in, in 2007, on this graph was number six. And it got worse and worse and worse through 2009. It went down to two, and now we're up to almost six again. Does that mean we plateau? Or if we were looking at 50 years' worth of data, do you think job openings would have been higher than that? You know, we don't have a lot of data. I, I don't think they get higher than that because it's it's related to GDP growth and yeah. things like that. So yeah. six uh, may be as good as it gets. I don't know. That's how it strikes me. Though. Okay. And then... Uh, Let's see. I had a couple of, uh, on page 13, just want to note, I want to do a shout-out to the Consumer Sentiment Index. Hey, Consumer Sentiment Index. Hey, good job. You know, this thing's going straight up since the third quarter of 2011, uh, after a little respite last summer when we were all worried about a double dipper, and uh, now it's going straight up. I suspect that this week it's been going down, but on this chart it's been going up. And then I had one on, uh, I'm going way to the back of the book here, Mo, page 20. And the show's getting long, so we're, we're getting near the end here. Let's see. Output per hour. Um, what I like about this is it's uh, right at about 3%, which you look back over the last 23 years, and it's smack dab in the middle, so... There's something going on in terms of productivity improvements. That's a linchpin to GDP growth. That's how come GDP growth per capita can be above population growth, or can be positive at all, I should say. Uh, and it's why GDP per capita is faster than population growth. Its output per hour is growing at a pretty consistent rate of 3%. It's up and down here and there, but that's looking pretty good. And it gives me some confidence in predicting that GDP growth is uh, 
it's going to be this number, 3% plus population growth, which is, what, one and a half or something? So nominal GDP back to 4% next year, values prediction. And then finally, page 20, which I, let's see, where the heck is it here? I already did that one. Uh, 21. Manufacturing output per hour. Again, this is... Uh, you know, productivity, it's wealth per capita. It's why America has the highest uh, wealth per capita in the world with the exception of some small countries uh, like Finland and stuff like that, Switzerland, what have you. Manufacturing output per hour in the most recent quarter up 6% versus last year output per hour. It's wow. a lot of productivity. Wow. So I want to shout out to uh, all the manufacturing workers out there. Good job. That's really helpful. So. Right below that, shout out to corporate profits. Yippee! Yeah, look at that chart. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. So it's corporate gotta, profits uh, look like they're at a you know near an all time high as a percent of income. If you go back income. to 1987, they haven't yeah. been anywhere near this since yeah. 1980 since 1987 ever. So, so good job, corporations. Keep it up. Keep it up and uh, increase your hiring. Yay. Yay, so I guess that's about all we have this week on The Value Guys. I want to thank everyone for listening in. This has been The Value Guys Stock Talk Show. Um, we've had a couple of great ideas. And uh, let's name our favorite. You know, we haven't been doing that. I'm sure Phil's been missing that. So we got to – what's your favorite this week, Mo? I think I'm going to go with the gold. Going with the gold. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, – uh, U.S. Home. Now, nope. OMI, Owens and Minor, because of the stability of medical products and the supply, I like that a lot. So uh, thanks again. See all our caveats, index to past shows, pictures our moms took, www.thevalueguys.com. So long, everybody. Good night. <laughs>